as we look into the scriptures and we see what the church is commissioned to be, we see that what it is given is certainly world-changing. And so I just want to talk to you about that. We're going to look at the apostles today and some of the things that they did and modeled and taught to us in scripture as they were accused of turning the world upside down. Before we get to that, perhaps you have heard of the story about a mother who was cooking breakfast for her two young boys. Ryan was five and Kevin was three. They began to argue over who would get the first pancake. She saw this as an opportunity to teach them a lesson. So she said, boys, if Jesus were here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. So Ryan turned to his younger brother and said, okay, Kevin, you be Jesus. <laughs> That's exactly what I want to talk to you about today is, is walking in the steps of Jesus and, and being him to the world in which we live. As I have been a part of the American church for, for quite a long time, I grew up in it, I have stayed in it throughout my lifetime and with you a part of it even now. One of the things that I'm concerned about as I have grown up in it and even participated in it as a, as a church leader for, for many years is the aspect that if we're not careful, we get caught up in doing church. And we get infatuated with doing church. We worry so much about details and programming and having answers to all the questions and planning and even execution. And while those things are not evil, if they become the main thing, and we get infatuated with, with all of the detail and even minutia, we get bogged down in it, and we, we, get, we get so bogged down with, with doing church, I think the danger is that we forget that we are the church and that we're supposed to be the church. You see, a church that's infatuated with, with those things previously mentioned is going to have a very inward focus. Typically, churches that get hung up with that are focused on who is present now rather than who is to be desired to be present in the future. And God calls us to this wonderful plan that in his sovereignty and the eternal counsels of God that he determined that he was going to give to us a trust that would feed and nourish those who were present in the now, but would also be used to attract people who would come in the future. And so while we don't want to forget about either compartment at the expense of the other, we have a dual focus that we are called to. And if we get so internally focused on the here and now and who is present now, and we forget that God's plan strongly and convincingly includes the future and who will come into the church in the future, then we are going to miss at least half of what God has planned for us as the church. 
So rather than doing church, I want to invite you into being the church and to remembering that every day. Those who have fallen into the trap of doing church kind of confine their church life to the address of the building of the church. But those who are focused on being the church understand that as they are the church, it travels well and it goes with them wherever they are. And they seek to use everything that God gives in each day to build that church for his glory. The apostles knew something about that. You read about their lives, you study what they did and what they taught others to do. And you see that they had a strong commitment to the now, nourishing and growing mature disciples from those who had already believed. But at the same time, there was fire, there was dedication, there was commitment to reaching new ones with the gospel. And I want us to see what we study today through that lens and let God be glorified as he does a work in our hearts. We read through verse 9 of Acts 17 earlier. I just want to read a few more verses before we get into our teaching today. So if you want to go back to Acts 17, I would like to, to pick up in verse 10 and just read about this remarkable group of people that are often referenced and truly deserve reference today as well in our study. Look at verse 10 with me in, in Acts 17. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. On arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that God's message had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and disturbing the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul away to go to the sea, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. So you see the change that was taking place as the apostles were faithful to the word of God change broke out and those who were not supportive accused these men of literally turning the world upside down because of the changes that were taking place due to the message that they were preaching Today, I just want to talk to you about some simple things. I, I'm really not going to tell you anything that you don't already know. These are very simple things, but I think that as we approach the threshold of a new year together in church life, they are extremely important things. They are basic things. They are essential things, though, to our healthy life together 
and to us accomplishing more than just doing church. So let me walk through these things with you this morning, more so as a way of reminding you of them. I'm not pretending to teach you anything new today. You know these things, but it's good at this time to be reminded of them, I think. The first thing I want us to be called to today as we are the church rather than just doing the church is that we need to participate in this process that we call discipleship. If you'd like to follow along, I'm going to read a a few verses from Acts chapter 2 at this time. Beginning in verse 42, you know these verses so well, many of you probably could quote them this morning. It says here of, of this early primitive church that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the That was the big change that was happening now in the lives of these people. They had come to saving faith. God had regenerated their hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Father had drawn them to himself for salvation from their sins, and they had exercised their responsibility of belief. And as a result, new priorities emerged radical change now was happening in their hearts, in their minds, and consequently in their lives. And the first sign of that was that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, a relatively new set of teachings that really had never been taught before when you think about it. Surely alluded to in the Old Testament as a foreshadow, but nothing to the extent of this detail. And the church had not been born up until this point. So a lot of new stuff was happening. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the gathering together, to the working for a common cause that's often called fellowship, to the breaking of bread, probably because of the definite article here, it's a reference to communion, and to prayer. Everyone, verse 43, was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So if you're looking for a capsulized version of of the process of discipleship, I think you find it here in the second chapter of the book of Acts, beginning in verse 42. You find it comprehensively throughout scripture, but but these tightly knit verses really communicate well what happens when people are radically changed by the gospel. That's the process that we're given to participate in. I have read through the book of Acts many times in personal reading and in preparing to teach, and I always am given reason for pause when I read the last sentence in in Acts 40, uh, verse 47 of Acts 2. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
Do you know what one of the most telling signs is of a church who is more concerned with doing church than being the church? If it primarily enjoys transfer growth from other churches instead of seeing the new birth in action when people are coming to saving faith and coming into the fellowship. It's one of the telling signs. So would you like what happened to me? You have to understand something. When I stand up here and you feel like you need a hard hat, a seat belt, and steel-toed shoes, you just have to remember that I've been through that before you because this beat me up before it's maybe going to cause you some pain this morning. So just understand that, that I, had to, I had to get into shape with this well before sharing it with you. And if it sounds and seems painful, we are experiencing the pain together. And I don't stand here as someone who's casting judgment, but I have a message that I have to deliver. So would you consider what is happening as a part of our faith community even now? And would you decide that transfer growth is not acceptable as a primary means of seeing Genesis Bible Church move into 2024 and grow for the glory of God? You see, transfer growth typically means, especially when it happens within a community, that you have come up with something that other people like. And so they're going to flock to you based on their preferences and based on their likes. You have something they like, so they're going to come. And while I don't think the church should be repulsive to people around it at all, I think we need to work at being relevant without compromise. Absolutely. Our primary reason for existence is not to create something that other people will like. Our reason for existence is to practice and participate in the process of discipleship by remaining true to Scripture. And if people like that, then praise God. If they don't like that, we can't do a thing about it. So I want to ask you to consider your part individually in building relationships with people who don't know Jesus in going beyond the inward focus of, of trying to be the church that people want to be at because of the way you do it, to being the church in our culture and in our surrounding communities for the glory of God so that people who don't know Jesus will understand who he is and come to saving faith in him. I just want to ask you to consider that. Josh McDowell said, wherever Jesus has been proclaimed, we see lives changed for the good. Nations change for the better. Thieves become honest. Alcoholics become sober. Hateful individuals become channels of love. And unjust persons embrace justice. A.B. Simpson put it this way. The Christian that is bound by his own horizon, the church that lives simply for itself, is bound to die a spiritual death and sink, and sink into stagnancy and corruption. We never can thank God enough for giving us not only a whole gospel to believe, but a whole world to give it to. 
And Arthur Pink reminds us of these truths related to the gospel. As Christ has a gospel, Satan has a gospel too. The latter being a clever counterfeit of the former. So closely does the gospel of Satan resemble that which it parades. Multitudes of the unsaved are deceived by it. And that may be where we are living in our immediate communities. That's why I brought this quote into play. We are surrounded in our immediate communities by very religious people. Have you noticed that? Very religious people. You would be hard-pressed if you took the Grand Rapids greater area, and I would include us in that, you would be hard-pressed, even in the South, to find a place in this country where there were more churches per square mile. You'd be hard-pressed to find that. Think about it. We are a culture that is religious, but Satan loves for people to stay religious rather than being in a relationship with Jesus. Satan loves for people to trust in their own works while being religious, rather than being radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that their home truly is heaven with God one day. Satan loves to keep people religious. And we live in one of the most religious, conservative communities probably in the world but for sure in this country. So what are we going to do about that? Are we going to allow the the religious aspect of people in our greater communities to soothe our conscience and keep us from building relationships with them that will involve some of the hardest conversations that you've ever had? Or are we going to embrace that as part of our duty and cross to bear in this culture. There are some wonderful opportunities awaiting us if we will refuse being inward focused and if we will embrace facing outward with the gospel to combat Satan's counterfeit and to combat those who don't know anything about the two to share with them Jesus. And really, more importantly than that, to show them Jesus. So, I want you to consider who, with whom, will you show Jesus, or to whom will you show Jesus this year? Would you make a list? Would you make a list? I know some of you don't like lists, but, but make a list. This is a, this is a list worth making. It, it, it'll maybe be a part of that list that many people make as the new year approaches of of resolutions. I heard of somebody not too long ago that had 20 resolutions for last year, and I think they said they may have accomplished like nine or ten of them. Okay, great. Decide to make change. If, If lists help you in that regard, fine, but I want you to take the list a step further. Don't just list that you want to show Jesus to people, but make a list of people that you know who need to see Jesus. And figure out a way to do that. You know, God taught me this recently. In fact, very recently as we were away. Um, Time of rest and relaxation. It was a great time. If you want to know the stories and see the pictures, come see us. We'd love to talk with you about it. But we enjoyed the cruise, loved every minute of it. 
and had some good rest. But every night at 6 p.m., something happened that God used to teach me a lesson about the fact that even my vacations belong to him. I learned that lesson. I don't know that I had learned it in this profound way ever before. There were 19 of us in our family group that cruised together. 19. Okay? That's a big group. And every night at 6 o'clock after we had spent time together and even away from one another, we would all get together at 6 o'clock for dinner. We ate the same table, same time, same place every evening. It was kind of fun to talk about the day, get to know each other. We had some cousins there from Colorado that we don't typically get to see very often. It was just a, just a great time. But in the midst of all of that, something happened regularly that God used to arrest my attention. Now, I'm ashamed that it took this long. Uh, I, I, uh, I recently turned uh, 52 years old, if you can believe that. It took me this long to get this. I'm, I'm not, again, this isn't judgment or even saying that I'm exemplary. I'm not. But it took me this long to figure this out. We had the same server every night. It's from Indonesia. I would talk with him and converse with him as much as possible, and we would go back and forth, and a, a relationship developed at 6 o'clock. We would get to renew that relationship every day for several days. And it turned into something bigger than I ever thought, because at first, I'll be honest with you, my first conversation with him had nothing at all spiritual attached to it, okay? Just to be flat out honest with you. I had no plans, no agenda, nothing. I was just talking and enjoying his pleasant demeanor and good service. But as the days went by, I began to see that God was giving me something as a part of my stewardship, that even my vacations belonged to him and were supposed to be used for what we're talking about today. So our relationship has developed. We have continued to communicate. He has shared with me that he is Hindu now, as I'm finding all this out and seeing these details play out, I'm calling Dave Percy. You know who Dave Percy is? He's, he's a missionary that we support. He's had a lot of experience with, with the Buddhist world and come to find out he has a lot of experience with the Hindu world too. So I called Dave. I said, Dave, you've got to help me because I'm in over my head here. I have no idea what I'm doing really. I've studied this. I've taught this. But now I'm actually getting to do it and I need help. So when Dave is here in January, a little later, we're going to have some time together. I said, Dave, he's Hindu. He needs Jesus. You've got to help me. And he said, Mark, one of the things you need to understand about people from Indonesia, and this is sad, folks, but this is a reality that I hope will pull us out of our insulated existence here and that we'll see the need around the world. Those people in Indonesia, do you realize this? The government tells them at birth what religion they're going to be. And it's written, Dave said, it's written on their paperwork. Like we have birth certificates. So on our birth certificate, if we were in the same kind of country, it would say on there, this is your religion. It's assigned to you. Now, I love Dave, okay, and I trust Dave. <laughs> but I was like, is that really true? So in my conversations with our server, 
I said, can I ask you a question about your religion? He said, yes. I said, did you get to choose it or was it assigned to you? He said, Mark, it was assigned to me at birth. And he said, in fact, most of the people who live in Bali, where I live, were assigned to be Hindus. Some have been assigned to be Christian. I'm not sure what kind of Christian. And then others are assigned to be Muslim. And he told me that most of the rest of the people in Indonesia outside of Bali are probably going to be Muslim. Assigned by birth. How do you break into that? And then on top of that, it's illegal to evangelize. It's illegal to try to talk somebody into changing their religion that was assigned to them. Does it kind of help you understand what some of our missionaries are working with around the world? But let me tell you something, guys. That mission field has already come to us via cruise lines. 1,250, well, as we learned from the captain, 1,249 people. He stands aside from that, but 1,250 total working for the cruise line on that cruise ship. Just a patchwork quilt of different cultures and ethnicities like you wouldn't believe. If you've never been on a cruise, it's, it's just hard to even imagine how many different nations are represented. Seven months at a time, they'll be away from family working on those cruise ships. So it's an opportunity. The process of discipleship has to travel with us, guys. It has to go beyond what happens in the classrooms and worship center here on 14th Avenue in Hudsonville, Michigan. That's doing church, primarily. I want you to think about being the church beyond here. And yes, even your vacation belongs to God. If there's a divine appointment, walk through that door. Walk through that door. Participate in the process of discipleship. I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done here before. I'm going to stop there. I'm just going to stop there. If you want the rest of the sermon, uh, I'll give it to you. But I'm just going to stop there. I want us to let that sink in. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. That's enough to, to digest today. It certainly was enough for me. I, I stopped as I was studying and reading and was stuck here for a while, honestly, just kind of looking at my own life, my own existence. I don't know where you are on this, and I'm not pretending to know where every single person is on this but I want you to think about being challenged to, to be the church in this way. And just look as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Look into your heart. Take an inventory of your life and, and what you're doing with the people as a part of your stewardship that God has put in your life. Those things don't happen coincidentally. They do not happen accidentally. To think so, I believe, is an insult to our Heavenly Father. He, he's more in control than that, right? So I want us to consider it. I want you to think about who you know that needs to know Jesus and how you can show him, not share him, but show him to them. 
because that's typically where it starts. How can you show Jesus and his love to them before you ever share him with them in a formal sense of a gospel presentation? Because I think we all understand that's what people really need. They need to know we're authentic. They need to see Jesus in us. And no, no number of words can compensate for a life that has not lived well for Jesus. You can say anything and everything you want to say. But if your life doesn't testify about the gospel that you say you believe and isn't consistent with it, sharing Jesus won't go very far. We need to show Jesus.